0: Welcome to On the Middle East, the podcast of the award-winning media service El Monitor, where each week we talk with the decision makers and thought leaders who are making the news and shaping the trends in the Middle East. I'm Andrew Parasoliti, president of El Monitor, and our guest today is El Monitor correspondent Adam Licente, who is going to talk about Live Golf, the professional golf tour financed by the Public Investment Fund, the sovereign wealth fund of Saudi Arabia. Adam, welcome back to On the Middle East. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Let's start with an overview of Live Golf. You've been covering this very closely in your writing for Al Monitor. Give us some basic background about Live Golf, its formation, and some of the controversy around it that seems to have generated some backlash as both a challenger to the PGA and also because the funding comes primarily from Saudi
1: Arabia. Yeah, that's exactly why it's controversial. So basically, Live Golf is a new golf league that began earlier this year. It's financially backed by Saudi Arabia's Public Investment Fund, which is a sovereign wealth fund led by the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, a.k.a. MBS. And the Public Investment Fund has assets worth around $600 billion, and they're spending around $2 billion on Live Golf over the next few years. Live Golf is run by the Australian golf legend Greg Norman, And it's basically seeking to compete with the PGA Tour, which is the dominant golf competition in the U.S. and around the world. And Norman has had issues with the PGA for years, but now he has the public investment fund's money behind him to make a new league. And Live Golf started its tournaments in June in the United Kingdom, and it has tournaments all over the world this year. There's one in Chicago next week. Two of the tournaments are at Trump Golf Courses. And it's coming to Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, in October. And Liv has attracted a lot of big names in golf, people who have left the PGA Tour. Phil Mickelson, Sergio Garcia, Brooks Kepka, Lee Westwood, among others. And the key thing is the money. For lesser-known players, the minimum pay at the tournaments is around $100,000, which is much more than that of minimum at PGA events. And the big names, some of them, like Phil Mickelson, are receiving hundreds of millions of dollars to play for Liv. And Mickelson's the top paid athlete in the world now,
0: hundreds and of give,
1: millions. Yeah, and to give people a sense of like how much money the public investment fund is committing to live golf, uh, Tiger Woods was reportedly offered around eight hundred million to play, and he said no, which is another issue. But that shows how much they're willing to spend on this league. And another thing about live is it's only men golfers for now, but Greg Norman has suggested adding women in the future. And about the controversy, a lot of it is related to the Saudi funding. Like you said, Saudi Arabia has generally not so good reputation in the United States. And that reverberates around the world. Now, a lot of 9-11 families and victims are very vocal against live golf, but generally I would say the controversy relates more to the human rights issue in Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of anger about the Jamal Khashoggi killing, the treatment of women and gay people in Saudi Arabia. And to a lesser extent, the Saudi intervention in Yemen. And I would argue that the U.S. political division is driving a lot of the anger at Lib. You know, for example, Donald Trump, when he was a candidate running for president, he was kind of anti-Saudi Arabia. He tied the government to the September 11th attacks. Then, as president, kind of became more pro-Saudi, saw the kingdom as an ally. And although President Biden has continued to have good relations with Saudi Arabia. Because Trump is so polarizing, I think his critics associate the kingdom with him, and that has bled into the Live discourse. There's been a lot of very harsh criticism of Liv in U.S. sports media. One Golf Channel journalist accused the Liv golfers of taking, quote, blood money. But not all the Live controversy is related to Saudi Arabia. Some is just about golf itself. You know, Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy, they've emerged as the kind of biggest defenders of the PGA in the, this new rivalry with Liv. And I think their motivation is more to defend the PGA for the good of the game and also protecting their own legacy and the prestige of the PGA Tour. And the PGA has reacted strongly to Live. It didn't allow players a release to play with Live. That led to a lawsuit, and that's furthering the controversy.
0: How successful has Live been to date? You talked uh, and you mentioned the substantial investment by the Public Investment Fund. Is it attracting crowds? Is
1: it attracting sponsorship? Is it generating revenue? Live is definitely could be a long term challenge to the PGA Tour. You know, there's been a lot of US sports leagues over the years that try to replace the dominant leagues like the XFL taking on the NFL, but most of them don't do that well. But none had the backing of all this Saudi oil wealth. And that's really a game changer. And live is gaining momentum, they're winning over fans. The fans I speak to, a lot of them, what they like about Live is the shotgun starts, where basically every uh, every player starts at the same time at different holes. It's not like a lot of PGA events where you know the first few guys start at the first hole and then the second, and then it takes hours. So Live Golf is over faster. Some people like the camera angles better and the commentary better, and a lot of people love that there's no commercials with Live Golf, and Live Golf is free right now on YouTube. And it's easy to watch all over the world, which matters for the international fans who might have uh, difficulty accessing golf tournaments on U.S. cable channels, for example. And they're winning over some hearts and minds with lesser-known golfers because of the money, as I've reported for a monitor. And big names continue to join, like Cameron Smith recently. But the question is how long live could go on without having a major revenue stream. You know, they do charge people to go to the events. I looked at the tickets for next week. It was around $50 a day pass, but it's ad free on YouTube and they don't have a TV deal. And also as a product, there's no world golf ranking points to be gained from live golf events. And some people don't see the live wins as, as big a deal. Like for example, people remember the years Tiger Woods dominated golf. And, but you know, will they remember these live wins the same ways looking back 10 years? I'm not sure. Forbes had an article recently where they interviewed some live executives, and they said that they have a long outlook because of all this investment they have from the public investment fund. And they talked about a goal of continuing drawing attendees to the events so in person. And because live is team golf, which is also unique, live is hoping that the teams might get sponsorship in the future. But for now, they have a lot of, you know, Saudi backing behind them. And I expect oil to remain a major player for the next ten years or so, despite the growth of renewables. So they have a time; they have a lot of time to make Live profitable. But right now, without a TV deal and with just being free on YouTube, it's not realizing its full profitability potential. How does Live Golf uh,
0: fit within the context of the public investment funds? other investments, and the overall Saudi investment strategy, as well as its public relations strategy. Um, You've mentioned, uh, I think, a few points that seem to indicate that uh, they may be getting some benefits from this by highlighting uh, younger golfers, for example, or lesser known golfers.
1: Yeah. So with the investments, it's one of many investments by the public investment fund. It's part of Saudi Arabia's, or at least I view LiveGolf as part of Saudi Arabia's overall diversification strategy. They have this Vision 2030 initiative where they want to reduce dependence on oil, which of course is the bedrock of the Saudi economy. And the Public Investment Fund, they have shares in many big US companies. They recently bought a lot more shares in Amazon, Google, and others. They bought some stakes in some Egyptian state firms recently. Earlier this year, the Public Investment Fund started a video game group. For esports, which is basically like competitive video gaming, and in sports, the public investment fund now owns a English soccer team, Newcastle. So it's it fits into this context of the public investment fund diversifying and investing in a lot of different sectors, including sports. With the public relations strategy, I interviewed one former sports executive who said the thing that Live has done well is pointing out that there's hypocrisy all over the sports world. And Greg Lorman, he likes to make this point that many PGA tour sponsors also do business, a significant amount of business in Saudi Arabia. And many fans that I speak to, they feel that live is not the only sports league, with kind of questionable funding or questionable business ties. For example, you know, in North America, the NBA National Basketball Association is regularly criticized for its ties to China. And in terms of, you know, the the leadership of LIV and their public relations strategy, I've noticed that Greg Norman, he cautiously has addressed some of these human rights issues in Saudi Arabia. A few months ago, he finally spoke about the Khashoggi killing. He called it, quote, reprehensible. But generally, Greg Norman has avoided discussing the specifics of Saudi government policies. And this could be because LIV's public relations got off to kind of a bad start. As you may remember, in February, Comments made by Phil Mickelson, who's perhaps the biggest golfer attached to Liv. He made some comments where he called Saudis scary and he called the country's human rights record horrible and he referenced the treatment of gay people there, for example. And then Liv had to do all this damage control, uh, you know, due to the backlash, significant backlash against Phil Mickelson for those comments. But now the public relations is uh, doing better, I would say. What has been the
0: reaction? In the region, you mentioned that we can watch um, Live Golf uh, free on YouTube. Is it being covered by the Middle East regional networks? And is it uh, serving the role of making golf more popular among Arab youth
1: in the region? Live Golf does get covered by the main Arabic media outlets. I do, however, see a lot more commentary and controversy in the Anglosphere, in you know, the U.S., the U.K., and Australia, than the Middle East. I suspect the public investment fund may want to be somewhat of a silent partner. But that being said, it, it has the potential to grow golf in the Middle East, uh, definitely. There's One interesting thing that got coverage in Jordanian media recently is a Jordanian player named Shergo El-Kurdi. He participated in the Live Golf tournament in Boston last week. And the coverage I saw in Jordanian media was you know, fairly positive, and there was a bit of pride in a Jordanian player making it to such a big stage because Jordan, and nowhere in the Middle East, is really like a golf powerhouse as of now. Mickelson's comments a few months ago, when he called uh, Saudis scary because of the human rights issue, that received heavy coverage in Arabic press. And a lot of outlets framed his apology for those comments as an apology directed to Saudi Arabia itself, which wasn't exactly what he said, but that was the framing. But overall, yeah, you know, the major events of live they do get a bit of coverage in Arabic media. But as of now, for sure, it's definitely, in my opinion, a more talked about topic in the English-speaking world. Do U.S. sportscasters
0: and sports networks cover live? Uh, Like they would cover other sports, for example, ESPN coverage of golf or the golf network. Uh,
1: Do they cover live as they cover the PGA? It's talked about on many, you know, uh, talk shows, you know, I see Pat McAfee talks about it, Rich Eisen, he talks about it. So it gets a lot of commentary in US sports shows, and also uh, British shows I've noticed. But like I said, they don't have a TV deal. So you know, the golf channel, CBS, these networks, they'll, they'll show golf, but right now live is on its own. It's just on its, uh, on its YouTube channel. So therefore it's not getting, you know, perhaps the same amount of airtime as PGA events in the U S but in terms of the commentary shows, definitely live is a topic. And I would argue that live has drawn more attention in sports commentary in the sports commentary world to golf. Like, because of LIV, people are talking about golf more and more in the U.S.
0: There's always been an issue uh, for golf with regard to diversity. Is LIV addressing that and has uh, has this whole controversy or competition between LIV and the PGA encouraged more diversity within golf more broadly?
1: I think that remains to be seen. There's a few players from Thailand on the live golf tour I saw. And so that's, you know, not, not a traditional golf powerhouse. Like I mentioned, there's a Jordanian player now. I do think live is targeting a more international audience, but it remains to be seen whether, you know, these countries where live is being watched outside the U S whether they produce, uh, you know, big golfers, but that'll take you know years to develop. But I do think live has that potential to fill that void in countries where golf is not traditionally a big sport, but Liv is perhaps going to benefit from this because, you know, golf was seen for many years as like a sport for rich, rich white men. And in the U S that's not really the case anymore. There's all sorts of people playing golf now. And so Liv really has the potential to, you know, it's a free product and it's available to be watched for free all over the world. It really has the potential to gain new golf fans in the middle East and elsewhere. And that could translate into these countries producing more top golf players. If you
0: had to uh, speculate or predict how you see golf in 10 years, do you see Live continuing to thrive? Do you see a merger with the PGA, or do you think Live will come and go as uh, the XFL
1: did? it's hard to predict but i don't anticipate live going away especially not in the way the usfl or the xfl went away from american football i expect live to stay and that's because this you know amount of investment that the public investment fund is committing to it is just so different from anything else we've seen in sports so i think live definitely will will be here for years to come and I don't know if it will overtake the PGA. Like I said, the PGA and also the majors, like the British Open, US Open, they have more prestige than live for sure right now, but lives only in its first year. And I think we may look back on it in a few years as, you know, something that changed the sport forever. You know, I think of when mixed martial arts came onto the scene, people, the boxing fans, some of them looked down on it and they didn't think it would be that big. But now, you know, whereas last century, Muhammad Ali was perhaps one of the biggest, most known athletes around the world. Now, Conor McGregor is, you know, an MMA star. He's like one of the highest paid athletes in the world. And some people didn't see that coming. So, Liv, you know, there's precedent. You know, it could, it could take off. It's unique. It has teams. It has the shotgun starts. It's very different. And this is all possible because of the Saudi Arabia Public Investment Fund. As long as that money is there, I don't think Liv will go away. I think it will continue to coexist with the PGA adam thank you for
0: this it's been great talking with you about the live golf i've learned a lot i know our listeners learned a lot from this conversation appreciate your coming uh on the show today and appreciate all your contributions to all monitor
1: thanks a lot andrew
0: we will return after this break
1: I'm and I'm the State Department correspondent at Al Monitor. And I'm Joe Snell. I'm Al Monitor's video editor. Let's admit it: this past year has been difficult to stay on top of the news and sift through what's accurate and what's misleading. Let Al Monitor help you. If you care about the Middle East and North Africa, you should consider listening to Al Monitor's audio series on the Middle East with Andrew Parasoliti and Amberin and Zaman, and on Israel with Ben Caspi. You can now watch our newest video podcast, Reading the Middle East with Gilles Capel. You can subscribe to these series on your favorite podcast platforms. And through a host of free daily and weekly newsletters, we offer a range of perspectives with the highest journalistic standards. You can subscribe to these newsletters at Almonitor.com. As an award winning media service headquartered in Washington, D.C., Almonitor has a network of over 160 contributors around the world. So if you haven't done so already, be sure to visit Almonitor.com, where you can find all of these newsletters and podcasts along with first class reporting and analysis.
0: Thanks to our guest today, Adam Lucente and our production team of Beowulf Rockland and Rosabel Hine of Two Squared Media Productions. We will be back next week, and if you haven't done so, please sign up for our El Monitor podcast at your favorite podcast platform, On Israel with Ben Caspit, Ben speaks this week with Amir Taiban, who serves as deputy editor for Haaretz's English Edition. And, of course, this podcast on the Middle East, where Ambrin or I will be here next week with another decision-maker or thought leader in the region. Thank you all for listening, and please keep up with all of the news and trends in the Middle East at lmonitor.com.